I'd like you to find actually three places in your Bible this morning, Proverbs chapter 14, and then uh, Hebrews chapter 3, and then uh, 1 Corinthians 12, we'll get there later, but uh, so Proverbs 14, and then Hebrews chapter 3, we'll read in those two places, and then 1 Corinthians 12, if you can mark that, excuse me, for later on in the message, and we'll all get over there and just keep right on rolling, uh, good Lord willing. I appreciate all the visitors here today. I hope you've been made to feel welcome already. We're very thankful that you're here, and I uh, hope that uh, you're blessed by the services today at Riverside Baptist Church. Hebrews chapter 14, then Hebrews, I mean Proverbs 14, then Hebrews 3, and then if you'll find 1 Corinthians 12 for later on, uh, we'll get over there here in just a little while. Once you found that, if you'd stand with us. For the reading of the Word of God, unless you're not well able to stand, and, and, and the Lord understands all of that. Proverbs chapter 14, if you'd look down uh, with me to verse number 14. Proverbs chapter 14 and verse number 14. The Bible says, the backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways, and a good man shall be satisfied from himself. I'm going to read that again just for emphasis. The backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways, and a good man shall be satisfied from himself. Now you can lose that over to Hebrews chapter 3 with me if you will. Hebrews chapter 3, and look down to verse number 12. Hebrews 3 and verse number 12. The Bible says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be any of you, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily. While it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. I've entitled the message for this morning, Playing Church. I believe that we have a lot of people around the country sitting in churches, excuse me, and they're just playing church. And I think the Bible addresses that. So we're going to try to this morning. Would you bow with me and we'll get going. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, dear God, um, that, you, that you have given us something that we can stand firmly upon. Uh, we can trust your word and what it has to say. And Lord, you want to help us. You want to help us to be everything that you would have us to be. But we have to be willing to yield And I pray, dear God, this morning that the message would be received as it is delivered, uh, just the way that you would have that. Uh, If there is someone in here that does not know Christ as their personal Savior, I pray that you'd deal with them. Uh, Lord, you're you're really the only one that can. I I pray that you would deal with them and bring them to a place, uh, Lord, of trusting Christ as their Savior before it's too late. And then, Father, for the message, we pray for your power, Lord, that unction that comes from you and and divine direction we need clarity of thought and speech and just help us to stay on 
It just helps us to stay on, on course uh, this morning. To say everything you'd have us to say, to refrain from saying anything you would not have us to say, uh, that your word would go forth with power. We need your help now. We're trusting you for these things and ask it all in Jesus Christ's wonderful name. Amen and amen. Thank you so much for standing. Please do be seated. A pastor's job is twofold. His first job is to comfort the afflicted. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, to stand and proclaim the liberating gospel to those who are in bondage to sin and to those that are being afflicted by the devil and are lost is one of the most joyous jobs a pastor can have. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing to see the light come on and people realize that they need a Savior and they would come to a place of repentance, of turning their heart to God and trusting Christ as their Savior. There's, there's not any more joyous occasion for a pastor as he proclaims the Word of God and sees God move and save lost souls. As Paul said, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So part of the job of comforting the afflicted is also helping the Christian once they do get saved by the grace of God. Once we get saved, the attacks don't stop, do they? No, they don't. They intensify. Christians face spiritual attacks from the world and from the flesh and from the devil. And part of being a pastor is to encourage folks to remain faithful to God through whatever trials and temptations they may face. Satan tempts Christians with affliction. He tries to get us to blame God and just quit, throw in the towel. Why does God let this happen? I thought when he saved me, everything would be fine. Everything would be perfect. Well, it doesn't promise that in the Bible anywhere. But it does promise that God will be with us through whatever we might face after we're saved by his wonderful grace. Uh, We're to put on the whole armor of God. And we're we're to resist the attacks that come. As the song says, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of his dear face, all sorrow will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. So my job as a pastor is to remind us of these truths. So the first job as as a pastor is to comfort the afflicted. The second job of a pastor is to afflict the comfortable. Afflicting the comfortable is the more difficult of the two jobs because of what it brings. Because people that are comfortable, well, they don't like to be bothered. Um, When you afflict someone that's comfortable, you more than likely will get an adverse reaction. Uh, Maybe an evil look or an unkind word. There's times I wish that y'all could stand up here and see this. (laughs) Yeah. Um, 1 Corinthians 15.34 says, Awake to righteousness and sin not. For some have the knowledge of God, the verse goes on, I speak this to your shame. Awake to righteousness and sin not. Not. I I don't believe that God intended for the Christian life here to be a life of comfort. I can't see that in any of our history, the brothers and sisters that have gone on before us. 
I mean, when you look at the lives of those early church, of the early church in Acts, you really don't see people living lives of comfort, living lives of ease, lives of ease. You see people taking up their cross and following Christ wherever he might lead them. Cross-bearing is not popular because of what it involves. <clears throat> because cross-bearing, the, 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 the basic end of it, it involves death. And by that, I mean cross-bearing involves death to self. Cross-bearing involves death to desires. Cross-bearing involves that we make him more important than us. And it's not very popular. Um, Cross-bearing also involves suffering. Suffering for Christ's sake doing what God would have us to do and taking the ridicule of the world because we're trying to live a different life, a separated life, a life unto God. And really and truly, these are not popular topics. <clears throat> I mean, we like to hear how Christ took up his cross and how he suffered for us and how he died for our sins and how he was buried. We like to hear how he rose again. But the preaching that calls us to take up our cross and to follow Christ, it, it rouses us, that, that, that preaching that would rouse us from our comfort zone, uh, we don't like that because we don't want to be bothered. And the reason for that is because most of the time we're not taking up our cross and we're not following Christ the way that we should. Identifying in his death, burial, and resurrection is the Christian life. Absolutely so. Romans chapter 6 and verse number 4 says, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. But cross-bearing is what he has called us to do. I mean, Jesus said in Mark chapter 8, verse number 34, whosoever will come after me, he said this now, whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Come on, we say we believe the whole Bible. We say we should act upon what the Bible says. But these parts seem to uh, ruffle feathers at times. Because cross-bearing is not uh, in our comfort zone. Cross-bearing calls us to get up off of our couch and out of our easy chair and go out into the highways and hedges and to compel people to come in. Cross-bearing calls for us to remove things from our lives that distract us, things that would dull our minds to the things of God. And, and it calls us to get involved in rescuing men and women and boys and girls who are lost and dying and going to a devil's hell. It's something that's not popular any longer, but it's something that's needed more than ever that we would do what God would have us to do. Cross-bearing afflicts the comfortable, and too many of us, I'm afraid, have become comfortable living something less than a fervent life for Christ. <clears throat> it's pretty easy to build up a crowd if you're going to entertain them. If you're going to make them feel good by some type of a by, by some type of, uh, of a um, uh, of a uh, come on brain don't stop on me now if with some type of, of a, a speech that's going to make them feel good about themselves, um, it's pretty easy to build up a crowd if you're not going to talk about dying to self and living the life that God would have you to live. It's a different thing. When you have a Bible-believing, teaching, preaching church, such as Riverside Baptist Church, 
And you preach the whole counsel of God and what Christians are really supposed to do. No, really, even in the 21st century, even in year, even in year 2021, we are supposed to live according to what the Bible says. But there's been so many of the truths that have been nullified, not really nullified, but nullified by the thinking of this, uh, of this bed of ease that we're supposed to lie on after we come to know Jesus Christ as our Savior. And I'm thankful he saved me 37 years ago out of a life of drug addiction. And I'm thankful that he has changed my life completely for his good. And I, I think that I would be plumb ashamed just to sit down and take my ease just because he has done so. When there are so many out there right now that need what God has done for me. It's only right that we would continue to try to live the way that he would have us to live. And go the way that he would have us to go. And live a fervent life for Christ. It's really a shame that too many people are ashamed. Too ashamed to invite people to church. To pass out gospel tracts, to tell people that they are a Christian, to live the life that God has for them. It is really a shame that after all that God has done for us, that we are not willing to do more for Him. There are those that, in essence, throw their cross down and they just walk away. They want to live their life the way they want to live their life, and nobody's going to change that. Oh, they claim the name of Christ. They claim the name Christian. Uh, they say that they, that they, that they have. But, but I'm talking about, no, no, and I'm talking about somebody that has been saved, but they have backslidden. That's where we started there in Proverbs 14 with the backslider. And to backslide, to backslide means to lapse morally. Or to turn aside or to turn back from the practice of Christianity. I mean, we're no longer going the way that God would have us to go. Oh, we've picked up some things here and there as far as what we're supposed to do as Christians. But there's so many things that we don't care about. So many things that we don't like. So many things that do ruffle our feathers about what God would have us to do. We pick and choose what we want to do as Christians, and we don't fully, wholly follow Christ the way that he would have us to do. And the fact is that God's children, those that are born again children of God, they sin, don't they? Come on, we're just sinners saved by grace, aren't we? Oh, absolutely so. To look at Lot in the book of Genesis, you would almost think he was a lost man. I mean, he literally had to be drug out of Sodom and then wound up getting drunk and having incestuous relations with his two daughters. Nevertheless, Second Peter chapter 2 verse 7 and 8 says that Lot was a just man, that he knew the Lord, <clears throat> but Lot was just a man. <clears throat> if we don't stay on track with what God have, would have us to do, after we're saved by his grace, if we don't stay on track, if we don't trust the Bible to guide us in that way, if we will not yield, if we will not obey, if we will not do the things that God says that we should be doing, pretty soon we're going to be doing a lot of things that God does not want us to do. It's just a fact. We have to die to self. We have to live unto him. 
We have to decide that, his, he, that he is more important than we are. That what he wants for us is more important than what we want for us. That we are willing to do what he would have us to do because he saved our soul from sin. Because he saved our soul and we never have to, we never have to worry about hell anymore. Because he has done so much for us. Isn't it only right that we would do for him? Right. Truly. Yeah. The Bible says that Lot, well, that it vexed his righteous soul living among the sinful inhabitants of Sodom. Even heroes of the faith have fallen. We know that as we read the Bible. Noah sinned uh, by drunkenness. Moses became angry. He disobeyed God. David committed adultery and murder. The disciples of Jesus forsook him and they fled when he was arrested. And Peter even denied the Lord, denied that he ever even knew him. And and often Christians fail to realize the attraction of the world. They they fail to to realize the weakness of their own flesh or the power of the devil. And, And because of that, prayer and God's word become neglected. And I'm here to tell you this morning that you cannot live a good Christian life if you're not in the word of God and you're not praying. It's two of the greatest tools that we that we have. Confidence in self, listen to me please, confidence in self replaces our trust in God. And that's not a good place to be for anyone, anytime, anywhere. It's a recipe for disaster in our Christian lives. And it will cause us to backslide. Doing what we want to do instead of what God would have us to do. And unfortunately, we comfort ourselves with the fact, well, preacher, you know, you know, nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. We, we all sin sometime. And so rather than repenting of our sin and getting back to where we need to be, we find this comfort zone in sin. Well, God understands and you know, it's just the way that it is. And in our hearts and minds, we justify our sin because, you know, it's not like I'm doing what so-and-so is doing. It's not as bad as what they're doing. And we begin to coddle sin rather than confess it we become comfortable we become hardened truly rather than being sorry for our sins we just keep living in it and then before we know it our hearts are lukewarm toward the things of God and then from that point we're just not much different than the world we can fit right in again because our hearts are lukewarm. We come to church and we go through the motions of worship without really worshiping. And it may be, even be that uh, you serve in a leadership position, but hearts are not really into what we're doing. And we become indifferent. We become apathetic. And we come to church to practice our um, religiosity. We play church and God's heart is grieved by it. God's heart is grieved by it. 
Because it's all about Him. It's all about Him. Truly. And when it ceases to be all about Him, we're not where we need to be. It's just a fact. Proverbs 14, 14, where we read this morning, the backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways. His own ways. The Hebrew word translated backslider there means to flinch, that is to go back, to retreat, to apostatize. It it also is translated in other places in our Bible to go back, uh, to turn away or to turn back. Uh, when a person flinches, it means they draw back as from a, a, a punch or anything difficult, dangerous, anything that might be painful. Many people who attend church regularly are flinching from this matter of taking up their cross and following Christ. Oh, that, well, they'll receive the things that sound okay to them, but when God addresses them about things in their own life that they need to lay aside or things that they need to pick up or whatever the case may be, it's real easy for them just to stiff arm God. To go through the motions, to leave the place just the way they came in, without, without addressing, without ever dealing with whatever God may have spoken to them about. <clears throat> they draw back from uh, following Christ closely. Um, they're satisfied with following him from afar. But that's not the way he meant for it to be. He meant for us. To walk closely with him every day. He, he meant for us to be tools that could be used in his hands. He meant for us to be everything that he intended for us to be when he saved our soul. The backslider is a, is a saved person who's going backwards in his spiritual walk. And the reason that they have their spiritual gear in reverse is because they're full of their own ways instead of being full of God's ways. No, that's what the verse said. They're full of their own ways. They're not full of God's ways. They're doing their own thing. They're living their own life. They're pleasing self and not Christ. But that was never the way that God intended for a born-again child of God to live. Ever. You cannot read your Bible and get that anywhere. It's not there. Pleasing self, not Christ. And then in Hebrews chapter 3, the backsliding, uh, uh, it compares the backsliding Christian to the Hebrew children whose uh, carcasses dropped in the wilderness because of their unbelief. I mean, God delivered them from their bondage of Egypt with a strong, stretched out arm, but they couldn't trust Him to give them the promised land. Even after His deliverance. Oh, come on, come on, come on. Stay with me here. You, you see it? I mean, I mean, God delivered them. And then he said, this is the way you need to go. And pretty soon they're not trusting him anymore. They're upset because what he's done. No, he delivered them from Egypt, from strong bondage. But they're not satisfied with what he's doing in their life after that point. And a lot of them, well, they never got to see the promised land because of it. We get saved by the grace of God and we may have to go through some hardships as we pick up.
our cross and follow him. There may be some things that he wants us to die to. Will be. I, I mean, there's some changes he wants to make in our life. And we get upset. And boy, it's so good that you saved my soul. But I wasn't expecting all of this. I mean, what's the deal? I thought everything was supposed to be good and easy. And I didn't expect all these hardships. And I tell you what, this, this does not... This does not suit me at all. So I think I'll just go back to doing things the way I used to. Don't look at me that way. I'm telling you, I've been pastoring now, trying to learn a pastor now for almost 14 years, and I have seen it. I've seen it. But it's not a good place to be. No, no, no. I, I mean, it's not a good thing to... To decide that you're just going to go back and do your own thing. It never turns out good. It never turns out good. The promised land is not a picture of heaven. The promised land is a picture of the abundant Christian life. And he wants to get us all to that place once we're saved by his grace. He wants us to live that abundant life. He wants us to have joy unspeakable and full of glory. He wants us to always have that peace that passes all understanding. Even when we go through the trials of life. Even when the storms arise along the way. Many, Christ, many Christians are going to die without ever knowing what the abundant life is all about. And that's such a shame. It's such a shame. Well, I'll tell you what, you go down there to that Riverside Baptist Church, and they're going, to be, they're going to be telling you all the time that you need to quit this and quit that, and you need to live like this, and all these different things. Look, 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 we're not going to do anything more than just tell you what the Bible says so that you can live a life for God. But it's not like, well, that, that Marshall guy down there, I'm telling you, he just thinks he can run your life and do all these things. I know the Marshall guy's just a sinner saved by grace. And I don't have anything at all besides that book right there. But I am going to tell people what the book says because I know the closer we follow the book, the better our life is. Absolutely so. Definitely so. Yeah. It's really sad that they have enough faith to get them saved. And, 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 and they would not even have that much faith if God wouldn't have given it to them. And nevertheless, they, they just continued to wander in the wilderness without enough faith to trust God to help them to live an abundant and fruitful life in Christ. It's really a shame. Truly a shame. Turn over to 1 Corinthians 12. We're, we're, we're moving along good. Stay with me here. Stay with me. Let me give you just a few points about playing church. Playing church hurts the church. It hurts the church. God places us in the body of Christ, the church. He places us there. Look at verse 13 in he, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, verse number 13. For by one spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. Look at verse number uh, 18. But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased him. So God places us in the body of Christ. Now each part has a function in the body of Christ. Uh, verse number 12. For as the body is one and hath many members... And all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. Verse 13 again, for by one spirit we're all baptized into one body, whether we're Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have, made all, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. Verse 14, for the body is not one member, but many. It's talking about the church here. 
And each part has its function. God gifts his people. He gifts, gives gifts to his people uh, that are to edify one another. Or to build up one another. Come on, that's what a church is supposed to be all about. We're to edify one another. We're to build up one another. We're, we're, we're not to be known for tearing each other down. That's not what it... No, 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 no. And when one part of the body of Christ doesn't function properly, it can affect the function of one or more members of the body. And even the entire body. Oh no, look at verse 26 there in that chapter. Um, it says, and whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. So when we play church, we're not functioning properly. And when we're not functioning properly, it's going to affect other people. Uh, but also playing church hurts Christ. See, you have to understand this. When we hurt the church, we hurt Christ. When Saul was persecuting the church over in Acts chapter 9, Jesus said that Saul was persecuting him. You remember that? Come on, Bible readers. You remember that? Oh, no, no. Acts, Acts chapter 9, verse 4. Saul, Saul, Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Me. Had Saul laid eyes on Jesus at that time? And was he persecuting him personally? He was persecuting the church. And uh, Jesus took it personally. Why persecutest thou me? Colossians 1.18 says, He, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. So Christ is the head of the church. Christ is the chief shepherd. And when we sin against the church, we sin against Christ, is what happens. When a member of this church, this local body, backslides on God, I'm telling you, it hurts the whole body. It hurts the church. And when we hurt the church, it hurts Christ. Christ is the head of the body. And he has a will. He has a will for this church. And when we sin against the body, it hurts the church, it hurts the body, it hurts Christ, it hurts the head, and it limits how effective the body can be for the head. We have to take note of this. When we speak against the church, we speak against Christ. Oh, I'm going to go ahead and say that again. When we speak against the church, we speak against Christ. And it's never going to be a good thing, ever. We need to guard our tongues on how we speak regarding the church. We need to be careful how we speak of its members. We need to be careful how we speak of the body of Christ. When we talk about the body, it affects the head. Our talk about this church is either going to help the church or it's going to hurt the work that's going on here. It's really the truth. But also playing church hurts the comforter. The comforter, yes, the Holy Spirit of God. Um, it was given to us. He was given to us. The moment that we uh, trusted Christ as our Savior. The Holy Spirit can be resisted. We know that because Acts chapter 7 verse 51 says, Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do ye. So resisting for us that are saved, resisting is when we refuse to hear the Word of God. And resisting is when we refuse to believe the Word of God. And resisting is when we refuse to obey the Word of God. 
And it does, not, it does not matter how much we hear the Word of God or if we say we believe the Word of God. What matters is how much we obey the Word of God as we know it. Because the Holy Spirit can be quenched. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19, quench not the Spirit. To quench, that word there means to extinguish. When we don't do what the Holy Spirit wants us to do, according to the Word of God, we're quenching the Spirit. When through our words or through our actions, uh, we extinguish God's working in the lives of others, we are quenching the Spirit. You know, it really bugs me sometimes that someone that's really trying to live for God and do what God would have them to do, uh, comes up against another Christian that begins to tell them, oh, you don't have to do that. Oh, mercy, that's just going a little bit too far with this, you know, this Christian thing. I'm telling you, God works with us as individuals, doesn't he? Come on, what God wants for you may not be what God wants for someone else. And what God wants for someone else may not be exactly what God wants for you. God works on us as individuals. So we have no right. We have no right whatsoever. We have no right whatsoever to tell someone that is trying their best to live for God to give up things in their, in their life because they want to pick up their cross and follow the Lord. We have no right to be telling them, oh, you don't have to go to that extreme mercy sakes alive I'm telling you I mean you can come down to our church over here I'm telling you we don't have to go through all that stuff it's not about what the church says come on look up here for me please it's not about what the church says it's about what he says this church doesn't want to run anybody's life heavens to Betsy but he wants to run our life he wants to guide us. He wants to direct us. He wants us to listen to Him, that we can be everything that He would have us to be. And I'm telling you, we don't want to quench the Spirit in our own lives. And certainly we, are, we should be ashamed to quench the Spirit in somebody else's life. How you talk about this church and the leadership of this church affects those that hear. I, I, I mean, you're either helping your church to go forward, encouraging those to follow the leadership that they have over them, or you're hindering the work of God. We heard it very well this past week in our revival meeting. Anytime that you cast a bad light on leadership, there's a good chance that you're keeping people from doing the perfect will of God for their lives. It's not good to lie to the Holy Spirit either. That can bring, a, that can bring, a, that can be bad. I mean, I think about Ananias and Sapphira over in Acts chapter 5. Well, who were they? Well, they were a couple of people that were in church and, and, and they sold a, a piece of property and they had told the church, we're going to sell this piece of property and we're going to give all the money to the church. And they sold the property and whether they got more than they thought or whatever, they devised this plan. Well, I tell you, they don't know how much we got. So we're just going to give this little bit and we'll keep this up for us after they had already told God that they would do different. It didn't turn out too good for them because, well, I mean, God killed them. Well, I don't know if I like that. You have to take that up with God. I mean, it's right there. It's not good to lie to God. We think we're getting by with it sometime, but we're really not getting by with it. When we tell God that we're going to do something, then we don't do it. it, it it's kind of like we say, oh God, you know, please God, if you'll do this for me, I, I promise you that I'll, whatever you promise him. If, if you'll just do this, I, I promise you God, I'm, one of these days I'm, I'm going to, and we make promises to God and then we don't keep them. 
We may say, well, I just forgot. God doesn't forgot. We lie to the Holy Spirit when we claim that we're doing something for God when all we're doing is playing church. Well, I'm glad I'm not stuck in some dead religion. I'm glad that I can have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I know that he guides me along the way and tries to help me along the way all the time. He just wants me to, he is faithful. He just wants me to be faithful. That's what he asks of us. Some people get to thinking that, that God's impressed with their amount of activity, but he's not. He's, it's not all about just the activity. There's nothing about you or me that will impress God truly. God's only impressed by the life of his son, Jesus Christ. And we're supposed to fall in line with that. What God wants to see in us is Jesus Christ. Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We are supposed to live by his faith that means when we see something in the word of god that god would have us to stop doing we go oh man that's just going to be so hard well it it may but if we live by his faith it's it's possible well god wants me to do this for him but i just don't see how that i can do that we can do it by his faith by just trusting him. Oh, no, no, no. By going ahead and just moving forward. God, if, if you're going to have me do this, I'm, I'm going to attempt. But you're going to have to be there because I'm not going to be able to do anything if you don't help me along the way. But I'm telling you, as we take those steps of faith, God does mighty things in our life. Amen. Continues to do so. It really is. It really is incredible. The Holy Spirit can also be grieved. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 22. Listen to this. Listen, please. The Bible says that you put off concerning the former conversation, that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, Speak every, uh, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be ye angry and sin not, lest the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that need it. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Grieve not the Holy Spirit. To grieve means to distress. To grieve means to make sad. Many times we're grieved by those that we love. Well, God loves us, and God wants us to do well. And the things that he gives us out of this book, he gives us that we will do well. And when we don't listen, and we go back to just doing our own thing, well, he's grieved by that. I mean, oh, preacher, what makes the Holy Spirit sad? Well, we just look at the context of what we we just read. It's doing what the Holy Spirit would not have us to do, being involved in activities that do not honor God. But playing church also hurts children. 
Matthew 18, 6 says, But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. That word offend there means to scandalize. But whoso shall offend shall scandalize, or to entrap, or to trip up, or to cause to stumble, or entice to sin, or apostasy. See, playing church can hurt our own children. Our own children. A lot of children grow up with their hearts cold toward. Uh, a lot of children grow up with their hearts cold toward God because Dad and Mom played church. I, it, was, it really should grieve our hearts to think that we are the cause for our children not loving God. And, and young people, listen to me, please. Young, young people, it, this is not an excuse for you at the judgment seat. Oh, well, I tell you, you know, I, I would have got serious about God, but mom and dad didn't care anything about that. I mean, they didn't get serious about it. Well, it's not going to fly when you stand before the Lord. You will stand accountable for yourself one of these days. And dad and mom will also be accountable for you because God has put you into their care. Playing church hurts other people's children too. Many children grow up with hearts cold toward God because some preacher or deacon or teacher or other church member played church and it affected them deeply. Man, if that's what Christianity is all about, I don't care anything about being a Christian. If that's, man, I I just, I looked up to that person and now look at what they're doing, how they're talking, how they're living, all these different things. That's not going to excuse the children at the judgment seat of Christ. I said that, but, but it's, going to, it's going to call us. It, 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 will, it will call us in accountability. It will call us in accountability if we're the ones that have tripped them up. If we're the ones that have kept them from loving God the way that they should. And doing the things that God would have them to do. And living the life that God would have them to live. We'll be accountable one of these days. We'll stand before God. But playing church also hurts the cause. Remember when David came to the battlefield, he was expecting God's people to be in battle out there with with Goliath and and the Philistines. Uh, But instead, they had retreated from the battle. And David come off his chariot and said, Is there not a cause? Mercy, shouldn't we be doing something here? You know, if if you're busy playing, then that means you're not busy fighting the battle. You're not in the midst of it. You're not doing those things that God would have you to do. And God's name became a reproach among the Philistines because the Israelites refused to fight. They wouldn't go out there, man. I mean, tell you, they were talking bad about them. We have to think about that. Is God's name a reproach because you refuse to fight the good fight of faith for him? But Because you refuse to live your life for him? Because you refuse to tell others about him? I mean, I think it does us good to think if we know anyone that's out of church today because someone has played church. Maybe it's time to turn around. Maybe it's time to turn your life around. Maybe it's time to repent of those things and get back to the place that God meant for you to be. Do you know anyone who might refuse to come to Christ because you play church? No, it's a real thing. 
Truly. Come on. This is why we hear, ah, this is why you hear it so much. You know, I ain't going to church. Church full of hypocrites. Well, that's true. But so is Walmart and they go there. The fact being is we should not be hypocrites. We should be people that are sold out completely to God. We should be people that are determined to die to self and live for Christ. To pick up our cross daily and follow him. We should be willing to get serious about our Christian walk, our Christian life, and live the life. We should be serious about putting away those things. We should be serious about quitting our gossiping and smoking and dipping and cussing and whatever, whatever might cause people to turn away from the Lord. We should be serious about that. That's what church is all about. Church isn't a place you just come to feel good about yourself for a little while so you can go on to live your life any way you want to live. It's bad when you claim Christianity, but it doesn't show up in the way you're living. It's hurting more than it's helping. Playing church hurts our character. What do you mean, preacher? Uh, someone that is phony with God will be phony in other relationships. I mean, if a commitment to God doesn't mean anything, what does a commitment to a husband or wife mean? If a commitment to God doesn't mean anything, what kind of relationship can your children expect out of you? If a commitment to God doesn't mean anything, what good is your word to anybody? A person who's playing church may decide to play in other areas of their life too. When you are not real with God, it's easy to not be real with yourself and others. But when we put him first, when he's first, come on, the first and great commandment that we love God with everything in us. When we put him first, really put him first, then things will start coming together the way God intended for them to. It really comes down to this. Are you 100% sure that you're saved? Or do you know for sure that you have trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? It's so important that we know that we know that we know that we have been born again by the Spirit of God. Well, preacher, I, man, I, okay, well, I'm just backslidden. Well, I know that's a real possibility for some. I know that's a possibility for some, but... I, I, let me, uh, let me put it this way. You have to front slide before you backslide. Well, you have to come to know, truly know Christ before you can backslide away from Christ. You have to know that you've trusted Christ as your personal Savior. Are, are you in the battle for truth and right today, or are you AWOL? I mean, you're living the life that God wants you to live consistently, at least trying to. We were saved not only to be saved from going to hell, but we were saved to live for the Lord. And if we do not live for the Lord, we are not fulfilling our purpose in Christ. 
And I believe that there's many, many people today, saved people that are not reaching their potential for the Lord, that God could use them, would use them, if they would give in to Him. I mean, they're capable of being everything that God wants them to be, but they've chosen to do otherwise. Where we read there in Hebrews chapter 3, I'm, I'm, I'm done. Stay with me just one, two more minutes. It says, take heed, brethren, lest there, be, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it's called today. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. He's speaking to those that are saved. It is possible that we're hardened by the deceitfulness of sin when we decide that we're going to do our own thing instead of what God would have us to do. Maybe it's time to stop playing church. Maybe it's time to get real with God today. It'd be a good day to do it. Would you bow your heads with me? Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed for just a moment. No one looking around in respect of the Lord and respect of those around you for a moment, if you will. Very well could be there's someone in here that would say, Preacher, I'm not sure I'm saved. I'm not sure that I've ever truly trusted Christ as my Savior. I'm not, I'm not sure my sins are forgiven. I, I, I'm not sure if I died, I would go to heaven. I'm just, I don't have that settled in my own heart, Preacher. Would you remember me in prayer? Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. No one looking around in respect of the Lord. I'd like to pray for you that way, preacher. I'm just, I'm, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm not saved. Would you please pray for me? Would you slip your hand up wherever you're at and allow me to do that? I'm not going to point you out. Not going to come to you. Not going to call on you. I just would like to pray for you, preacher. I'm not sure I have that all settled in my own life, my own heart. Would you please pray for me? Just slip your hand up wherever you're at. We'll move on. God bless you. Yeah. Others. You're here today and you'd be real honest with God and real honest with yourself and say, I'm not living my life the way that God would have me live my life and I know it. And preacher, would you just pray with me that I'll take a turn, that, that I'll get back to where I need to be, uh, that I will decide it's more important to live for Him than it is to live for me. You're here like that today. Would you allow me to pray for you? Our heads are bowed. Would you just slip up your hand wherever you're at and allow me to pray for you that way? Hold them up for just a minute. God bless your hearts. Cross the auditorium. Appreciate that. That. There. 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 Back there. Over here. I appreciate your honesty. Thank you very much. You may put your hands down. Dear Heavenly Father, I don't know the needs in these folks' lives, but you do. And I, 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 I said I would pray for them, and I do. I pray for them even now. I pray, dear God, that... Um, that they would make the changes that they know you would have them to make. Oh, Lord, whatever that might be. That, Father, that they would just listen to you. That whatever, whatever repentance needs to happen, it would happen because of you and how you've spoken to their hearts and what you're trying to do in their life. Lord, that they might, uh, that they might fulfill your perfect will and your purpose for their life. I pray, Lord, that they might even come this morning down to an old-fashioned altar and just talk to you about it for a while because you're the one that they need to talk to about all of this. And then for those in here that do not know...
Christ as their Savior. Lord, I pray that you'd convict them very deeply, that you would convince them that they're a lost sinner, that, that they need to trust Christ before it's eternally too late. We can't, we can't make them do that, neither would we try. We don't want them to just say some prayer that's not going to mean anything. No, no, sir. No, Lord. We, we want you to deal with their heart and bring them to that place. Father, whatever needs to happen, maybe they could come. Maybe they would come today and let somebody take a Bible and show them how they could get that settled. Whatever needs to happen these next few minutes during invitation time, we pray would happen. 